0: Let's turn in our Bibles today to Galatians chapter 3. Once again, Galatians chapter 3. As we mentioned last Lord's Day, uh, it does appear that Paul is speaking the same things over and over. And I, as I mentioned, he actually is doing that. And there's always a good reason as to why. At least we can say it as we leave chapter 3, well, I hope all of us here will at least have some grasp upon the doctrine of justification apart from works. Because that is what Paul is trying to get these churches of Galatia to understand, to see, and to get back to. Because you know from this book that they have drifted away from that simplicity that is found in Jesus Christ. And so if that is the case with any of us here today, I pray that the Lord will captivate your hearts and bring you back to this simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do away with this idea that somehow by your doing and your not doing, that you merit something before God. My friend, that is not the case. We would merit hell if it was in accordance to what we do. But it is only by the grace of God that we are freely justified in His sight. Verse 9 is my text today, Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, and this will be the conclusion then of the argument that Paul is giving here. He says here, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 9 again, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now, the Scriptures declare that a man is just before God apart from the works of the law. Biblically, if you are a saint, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe that He is the Son of God, and I say that biblically, because that's how we have to look at it, if you have biblical saving faith that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are now justified before God. You are so now, you are so completely, you are so holy, and you also are forever justified in the sight of God. The scripture says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore being justified, e.d., past tense, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There awaits no further declaration of this point to you who believe the gospel. Now it's true at the last day as we stand before God, He will once again declare us righteous before the whole world. But again, that's not what we're dealing with when it comes to the book of Galatians here at this point, nor in some other portions of Scripture that we'll be looking at. We're talking about this thing that exists now between God and the believing saint. They are justified from all things which the law of Moses could not do. Nothing further needs to be accomplished by God in this manner. God has provided it all by Jesus Christ. God raising him from the dead is the crowning aspect of this. Look over in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. He says, Now it was not written for his sake alone, that is for Abraham's sake, that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification. So all of those here this morning who believe are equally justified before God as any other saint, including Abraham. Now think about that with me. We think of Abraham and what a great man of God he was. You know, he's called the friend of God in Scripture twice. He's the friend of God. He was the one who God actually appeared to face to face in the Old Testament. He was called the father of the faithful, you remember. And so when we think of Abraham, we think of him as a great and godly individual standing before God. But I'm here to tell you this morning... That if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are just as equally justified before God as Abraham or any other saint in the Bible. No less justified than Abraham and no more justified than Abraham. Though he is entitled the father of faith and all those things that we said, we who believe the gospel are justified in the same way and in the same measure as Abraham. Now, that is an encouraging truth, is it not? Maybe not. I don't know. It is to me. To think that I stand in the same standing as Abraham, as great as he was, but before God as far as my salvation and my justification and my reconciliation and all those big words that are in the Bible and we ought to know, it's the same. I am no less a saint than Abraham. I am no less of a believer than Abraham. I am no less blessed than Abraham. That's what our text is telling us here. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. What a glorious doctrine that the Judaizers have perverted. What a glorious doctrine these modern day Judaizers are perverting. We who believe You here this morning, I want you to understand, you, not some saint in the Bible, but you, as you sit here this morning, as you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you believe the biblical gospel, you are no longer under the condemnation, under the judgment, or under the wrath of the law of God ever again. The scripture says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the the name of the only begotten Son of God. Brethren, because of Christ, we who believe stand righteous in God's sight. Never again to come under the condemnation of God's law. Never. We say, what if I break God's law? You will never come under the condemnation of God's law. And I realize we have to be careful with this dot. We're not saying go out and break it all's well. We're not saying that at all. But there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And when that just man upon the earth sinneth not, it does not affect his standing in justification. He is forever righteous. He is forever not condemned before God. A lot of times David is brought up, and he is a very good example in this very thing. Taken within the boundaries of what we're speaking. Please. But, but when David sinned his great sin with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered, he was no less justified when he committed those terrible crimes and sins. You believe that? I fear some of you don't. Do you think he unjustified himself? Now, we're not making excuses for David. We're not saying go out and sin that grace may abound. Please don't misunderstand that. But I'm talking about the position that every true born again person has in the sight of God they are righteous. Forever. Roman declares that very plainly. Paul's given us some aspects there in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And here's why no one can. Here's why even God himself, and I say that reverently, here is why God himself or the devil or no man can ever lay any a charge to us. Why is it? Look again in verse 33. It is because it is God that justifies. God justifies us. Who is he that condemneth? It's not God. Do you understand that? That's what Paul is saying here. He just doesn't say that, but that is his meaning when he asks the question Who is he that condemneth after God justifies? Not even God condemns us. Okay. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, brethren, all of this is true without works. Once again, those of us who know this, we certainly find it to be good news, do we not? We find it to be glad tidings to us. It is the gospel. And those of you who are laboring under the guilt of sin and you hear this, this should be glad tidings to you as well. When you stand and you know if I was to drop dead this very moment, I would drop into the very pits of hell itself. This should be good news that there is a God who justifies the ungodly. That's the gospel. It is that which you are to believe this morning. Believe it, my friend, and you are justified from all things. And you have the standing of David and of Abraham, yea, even of all saints, rejected, and you stay condemned in your sins. Now, why do sinners need to be just before God? not a real brilliant thing. It's because we're sinners. That's why. Because we are guilty. Because we have broken God's law. The law of God, Romans chapter 3 tells us, finds us guilty before God. Guilty because we have sinned against God in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions or in our deeds. And my friend, if we ever expect to find forgiveness... And enter into heaven, we must first be righteous. Now, the bad news is we cannot become righteous by our own doing. There is nothing we can do or render unto God that will make us righteous. My friend, you can do all, you could start from Genesis 1, and if you could go through every command and obey it to the very end, my friend, you would still be lost, doomed, and damned. It's a fact. There is nothing we can do, or anything we can do, that would render unto God, that would make us righteous. So if we're to become righteous, then we need something to make us so. And this is what God does in the gospel. The gospel provides for us the news of this righteousness. The gospel tells us of one who has provided righteousness for sinners. And it's Jesus Christ. His life and his death provides all that is needed for God to declare us righteous in his sight. And that same gospel tells us of Christ who was just and who was righteous giving His life for the unjust, you see. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, For He hath made Him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Or we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And the Scripture declares, as we've been reading here so often in the book of Galatians, that all who believe are justified, are righteous before God. Now, there will be those who will say, this is just not so. This can't be true. This is not true. They will tell us that one must do certain things in order for God to justify us. Today, they may tell us we have to be good. We have to do certain things found in the Bible. Do good works, do good deeds, love, pray, church attendance, baptism, and so on and so on. Now, in Paul's day, they were saying it was the law. It was the law of Moses, which contained the Ten Commandments, no doubt, which contained circumcision, the dietary laws, the covenants, the service of God, and all those things which pertain to the Israelites who... We're under the law. And the apostle here in this epistle is combating that deadly error. That's exactly what it is. Paul declares that justification, you see, is by faith apart from the works of the law. Look in Galatians 2, verse 16 again with me, if you would, please. Knowing, he says, this isn't something that's hid knowing, and he's talking to Peter here, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And that's the contention through all this epistle. This righteousness, this right standing before God does not come by what we could do. It comes by Christ and by believing in that gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you notice our text in verse 9. He says, So then they which be of Abraham are blessed with faithful Abraham. First of all, I'd like us to look at the context of this text. The context of our text, and I see that in the words, so then. See there he says, there, so then they which be of faith. In other words, that so then there is taking us back to something. Now, I want you to notice that in our present text, Paul is bringing his first, arg- first set of arguments to a close. Remember in verse 1, he gives a strong rebuke against them. He says, oh foolish Galatians, and so forth. But then as we said in verse 2, beginning there, he starts his maneuvering with them. He begins to lay out his arguments as to why a man is justified by faith rather than by works plus faith. And so from verses 2 down through the end of verse 9 is what that's dealing with. And verse 9 itself then ends it. So again, he began in verse 2. By asking some rhetorical questions, didn't he? In which the answers were very plain. That they had received the gospel not by works, but by hearing of faith. And that by that he means by believing. And he proves this assertion by using the example of Abraham. Who was justified by faith and not by works. Notice verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to, to him for righteousness. And then in verses 7 and 8, he states that those who now believe the gospel are justified along with Abraham. He says, Scripture proves this. And now in verse 9, that is our text, he concludes his remarks upon this point by basically repeating or really kind of a summary here, that those who believe the gospel are blessed, and as we mentioned, the word blessed there means to be justified. And so they are justified along with Abraham. The same way and in the same measure. Justified with Abraham. And that's why we see the word, so then. That's the context. So then, all of this I'm telling you, You are justified by faith as was Abraham and with Abraham. Okay. Now, let's go to the second point. The meaning of the text. These are very easy headings today. The meaning of our text. That's in verse 9 as well. Here he says, So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. He is stating here nothing new. He's not adding anything to his argument with, about Abraham. There's nothing really further to say in regards to this relationship that he's been bringing out with Abraham here. Abraham was justified by believing the gospel just as we are justified by believing the gospel. There's no difference. Understand that. There is no difference. The Judaizers couldn't see this. Even the churches of Galatians were having problems seeing this. But Paul wants them to understand here, there is no difference. Abraham was justified by faith. You are justified by faith. He And brethren, some 2000 years later, it's the same. If we believe the gospel, we too are justified by faith. There's no difference. When God preached the gospel to Abraham and saying, as we notice in, chapter, in verse 8 there, in thee shall all nations be blessed," He meant all who believe are justified. All who believe are justified. They are imputed or accounted righteous by faith without the deeds of the law. Now, first of all, I want you to notice the phrase, "...they which be of faith." Notice that in our text there in verse 9. He means here very simply, those who believe the gospel. Those who had received it by faith. In other words, those who are relying on Christ's righteousness rather than their own righteousness. You see, that was the Jews' problem. That was Israel as a whole. The nation as a whole had rejected the righteousness of Christ and went about to establish, as Paul says in Romans 10, verse 1 through 4, they went about to establish their own righteousness. They had a zeal for God, he says, but they were wrong. They were dead wrong. They went about establishing their own. And he says they would not submit to the righteousness which is of Christ, for Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. And then number two. Notice secondly here, he says, with faithful Abraham. Notice that phrase there. So then they which be of faith, that is those who believe, are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now notice, they're not blessed or they're not justified by him. That is, Abraham believes and thus he's going to impute Abraham's faith to all of us and that somehow, that's not what he's saying here. Nor is he saying that it's because of Abraham itself. But you notice what he says here. It says, with Abraham, doesn't it? With him. It's a preposition. It means alongside. I, if you are a believer, like I am a believer, then we are justified along with Abraham. Someone has said this expression is very emphatic. They are blessed, not with Abraham as circumcised, as the Judaizers were telling us, nor as entitled to boast of the works of the law, nor as a Hebrew, nor as relying on his own excellence, but with Abraham, who by faith alone obtained the blessing, for no personal quality here is taken into the account, but faith alone. It's not those who are physically descended to abraham who are blessed but those who are believers in jesus christ you remember the pharisees the claim that they claimed abraham as their father you remember that in luke chapter 3 when they came to john's baptism and he says why are you here to be baptized he says well abraham is our father and what did he say he says, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham our father. For I say unto you that God is able to, able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. You see their problem? They were basing their relationship to Abraham by flesh. They were blood related. They had the same hair color, the same type of nose. They had the same blood flowing in their veins as Abraham did. But he says, that's not it. They boasted of their relationship by flesh rather than by faith. Also notice something else here in verse 9. He calls in here faithful Abraham. Now the character of faithful here given to him respects not his uprightness and his integrity, but his faith in God. Remember, he believed God and it was accounted unto him for Righteousness. All of this, you see, is without the works of the law, but by faith. Now, and I'll get to that in just a moment, Of this idea of the law here in just a second. But let me give some application to this uh, before we close this morning. First of all, not to labor this point, but I think it's obvious here. And it's a very important point. We are justified by faith, not by works plus faith. But by faith alone, and that's what we mean by that, apart from works. I hope you can see that this morning. With the example of Scripture, with the example of Abraham, with the the telling of this so plainly, you cannot go from here, I trust, thinking, well, it must be something I do that makes me worthy to receive God's benefits. No, my friend, it is by grace. And that received by faith. And then secondly, since this... Now, this is important here. Since this whole section is given for an argument, brethren, you and I, when we deal with people who are caught up in this heresy, uh, whatever you want to call it, Judaism, legalism, uh, new perspective, or work salvation, we need to use the same method in our preaching the gospel to others who may boast of their own worthiness. Do we take the Scripture and literally argue like this? We ought to. This is what Paul does. How does Paul address this terrible heresy there in the book of Galatians? How does he do it here in Galatians 3? He uses sound biblical scriptural arguments, doesn't he? I know other people think they've got better ways, but my friend, you can't can't beat the way of God. It's always correct. And when we are dealing with sinners who are of this kind, then we better argue like Paul argues. I'll take it one more step. If we know brethren whom we have had hopes that they were brethren in the past and they are somehow latched on to this works righteousness idea, we better be prepared to argue just like this with them as well. To draw them away from this damnable error that they've espoused. Isn't that what Paul does here? Not just one or two individuals, but brethren, he's talking to whole churches here, isn't he? Why have we gotten away from biblical arguments? Are oh, we afraid that the Bible's not good enough anymore? Are we afraid that somehow now in the 21st century, the Bible isn't sufficient enough for us? That, you know, those sinners out there, they're so complicated, they're so highfalutin that these simple Bible truths aren't going to reach them. <clears throat> you know what I say to that? Well, I wouldn't tell you what I think of that. But this, brethren, is what we need. Why get away from it? Why do you think you can outsmart God in any of these matters? Let's get back to the Scripture in doing this. And then thirdly, I have to ask you here this morning, what are you trusting in to justify you before God? Have you come through the doors this morning thinking, well, it must be something I do? It must be that I'm a law keeper or boy, I sure try to be a good guy and a good boy and girl now and then, and that's what God's going to help me with. Is that what you come in believing? Is that what your trust? Is that what your hope is stayed upon? Then if so, my friend, you are lost. You are still yet in your sins condemned before God. We have no other way to think of you but that. Let me encourage you to trust in Christ this morning. Think of the Gospel and what it is. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then I want to t- tackle this in the closing here. The question that I'm sure it's burning on most people's minds when you deal with this issue of faith alone apart from the works of the law. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because we're going to be dealing with it in the coming weeks. Well, what about the law, pastor? There was a sign I saw yesterday, you know, those little marquee, they're little cute little, usually stupid sayings that thinks it draws the Christian's mind or the world's mind. It said, God does not judge by, on a curb but by the cross. I don't even know where I saw it anymore. I think it was down in one of those churches down that way. I don't really know and I don't even want to know what they really had in mind when they stuck that up there. But I have a sneaky feeling that they think that it's yes, true God doesn't grave on a curve He grades on the cross. That is somehow the law of God has been taken and cast away now and the standard is no longer the law but the standard is the cross. And since the law was so high and no one could ever attain it, God just says, okay, I'll just forget that. Okay, okay, you guys couldn't do it anyway, so let me just forget that. You know, if you could have done it, well, then we could leave it. But, you know, you're all sinners, you're all worthless, you're all bound for hell, and the law its just just not going to do you any good. So let me just throw it over here, and I'm going to set up now this new standard called the cross. My friend, that's a lie. The standard has always been the law, and always will be the law. Now, I'm not getting into what law at this moment. That's for further studies. But the point of the matter is the law. God does not lessen His standard of holiness to save sinners. He does not stoop down in that sense to violate that which is of His character in order to save sinners. As much as He loved us. As His people, He does not violate any aspect of His holiness or His law. Never. Yes, He still grades by the law, by the way. And no, there's no curve to it. That's true. You say, well, what about the law? Well, actually, those who are believers in Christ, the law has been established. Not done away with in that sense look at what he says in Galatians 3 or excuse me Romans 3 I'm sorry Now again I'll make the distinctions and all these law things later just for now to help you with this aspect here verse 28 we'll start there therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law is he the God of the Jews only is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, that's the Jew, by faith and the uncirc- uncircumcision, that's the uh, Gentile, through faith. It says by faith and through faith. Same thing. Verse 31. Do we make void the law through faith? What does he say there? Some of you who know anything about Greek knows that know the words, God forbid, are not found in the Greek text. Is this wrong? No. This is absolutely correctly translated. Absolutely. What he does use are two words that are very emphatic, very strongly stated. In other words, this is the, this is the, the strongest way to say no in the English language. You would say what? Nah. No, that's not how you say no very strong, is it? How would you say no very strongly in the English language? Those of you who are Anglo-Saxon, how would you say no in the English language? Well, you say it just like this. God forbid. Now, remember the question. Do we then make void the law of through faith? And the answer is, God forbid. No. Okay, You see that now? You see that thus far? That's easy. It's a, you don't be an expert in any of that to figure that out. Do we make void the law of God? Do we void it out? No. Is it stamped stamp canceled on it? No. God forbid. Notice, yea, what do we do? We, not God, we establish the law. Does God grade on a curve? Does He grade on a cross? No, he grades on the law. Does he do injustice to the law by saving sinners? No. God forbid that that would be so. How does he do it? Go back up to the text, up further up into chapter 3 here, and we see. Look in verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness. That is, His right doing. In doing what? That He might be just. Being just in what? Just in saving sinners who have broken His law. Remember back up in 19? They're all guilty before God. Then how can God justify sinners who have broken his law, and God still be a just, holy, righteous God in doing it. How could God not sin in doing this? Here's how, he says. That he might be just and the justifier, that is, he's the one who pronounces the man not guilty, of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, in all of that, do we make void the law of God through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Does that contradict Romans chapter uh, 6 and verse 15? Absolutely not. And Lord willing, we'll pick up with that next Lord's Day as we begin to look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them.